From the University of Alberta Alumni Association, it's What the Job. I'm Matt Ray. It's really important to maintain relationships, even if you think you don't need them, because, you know, burning bridges and saying, oh, I don't need that person, that doesn't matter. That's all well and good, but it's fascinating, you know, to 20 years on, I'm still in touch with Heidi Royce and she's still my mentor and she's still advising me and guiding me today. And so I think mastering the art of keeping in touch with contacts, especially when you don't need anything, uh, is really a power. I think it's a superpower and it's really helped me along my journey. My guest on this episode of What the Job is Sheetal Meta Walsh, a woman of many hats. Sheetal is currently the Chief Strategy Officer for the Alberta government's Ministry for Jobs, Economy, and Innovation. But she has also worked for big tech companies like Microsoft, launched her own consulting company, and been a champion for social good entrepreneurship. Sheetal and I chat about her lengthy career journey that began as a political science student at the U of A, about her conversations with Bill Gates, and about why she got into the business of doing good. What the Job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that through the TD Insurance Mellish Monarchs program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance? Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com slash ualbertaalumni. So what's your name and what's your job? Hi, Matt. I'm Sheetal Meta Walsh, and I'm the Chief Strategy Officer for the Government of Alberta's Ministry for Jobs, Economy, and Innovation. And what do you do for that job? It sounds like a busy job. Yeah, actually, so this is the first time that there has ever been an appointment of a Chief Strategy Officer for the Government of Alberta. I'm so honored to be in this role. Uh, my mission really includes how we look at the Alberta Recovery Plan and how we look to diversify and transform and expand our economy from our priority sectors. I'm really focused on how we work with the various stakeholders, everyone from academics to NGOs to government, corporations, SMEs, and investors, and ensuring that we can provide uh, innovative solutions that include upskilling, job retention, and uh, ensuring that Albertans are given a, a pathway to be able to enjoy employment. It definitely sounds important. And, um, I, you know, We'll go through your career journey because I find that very interesting because certainly you've done a lot of different things. But I do want to talk about this job for a second first. Um, and it sounds like there's probably a lot of communication involved, a lot of like networking and um, building relationships with people. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. So I've actually never worked within government before. And most of my networking and learnings are taking place internally, which has been really helpful for me from a learning perspective to understand how our province operates in 2021. Um, there's also an element of external relations. And of course, with COVID, it's been very difficult to get out and meet folks and, and really engage. So we've been using Zoom calls and Teams and uh, really working with a large number of stakeholders to understand how they should operate or could operate within the, the COVID measures that are taking place right now for small businesses. And what was it that made you decide to start working in government? 
Well, I was approached about a year ago by an incredible deputy minister who I will say uh, is one of my mentors. Her name is Kate White, and she's quite a powerhouse. She's, uh, she's an incredibly powerful economist within government who really has a vision for our province and our future. And she and I were talking and she she offered me this opportunity and I have to say it really gave me a chance to look at my career from a different perspective. I've always been in industry, uh, never worked for government like I said before, and this was an opportunity not only for me to learn but to really engage with a stakeholder being government uh, in a very deep level, which is key to me because government obviously is very essential in driving public policy and ensuring that we have systems in place so that we can operate and innovate. So it's been quite an interesting journey. And it must be useful now that you're in this role, you know, you talked about how you had the industry experience and, and we'll go through that as well, but it must be useful to be able to draw on all that experience now that you're working in government. Absolutely, Matt. I left, uh, I left Edmonton in 1994 to go to London School of Economics, and I haven't been back for 27 years. So it is seriously an honor to be back and to be welcomed in this capacity. I also feel a very big responsibility uh, to be able to share the learnings and experience that I gathered while I was in other ecosystems, including London, Dubai, San Francisco, and even Vancouver. Uh, and I have to argue that, you know, Edmonton and Alberta are certainly uh, one of my best destinations in this world. So I'm really excited about garnering the networks, the skills, the experience, and best practices from other ecosystems that I can bring home for us to leverage here. Well, and it looks like you're wearing an Oilers shirt. So you are repping the city of champions right now. Always, always, always. I still call us the city of champions. And I notice our poster or sorry, our, our signage on the uh, the highway is gone. But I, I still say I'm from the city of champions. Well, maybe this will be a year. Maybe the Oilers are doing well right now. So who knows? Let's go back, though. Uh, you just you just listed off all these places you've been in and all this work you've done. Um Let's try to go back to the start of that. Let's go back to the U of A when you graduated um, and, and give me a sense of like, because you have an arts degree, right? That's, that's where you were at U of A. When yeah. you came out of that degree, where did you think you were going? What kind of career did you want to get into? Well, that's a bit complicated. I was very much... Um, channeled or if you could say brainwashed into a certain journey. I come from the Gujarati Indian community, which I'm very proud of. We came here as refugees in 1972, like many did. And our parents worked very hard for us to have opportunities. There was no question about going to university or not. Either you go to university or you don't exist. It's just part of your journey and your growth. Um, my, my path took me to very different channels, but I was very highly encouraged to go into law school and or to become a doctor. And of course I did none of those things. I did go into political science and I really loved being in the, in the faculty of arts. Uh, I was very much driven and inspired by the faculty there at the time. And it was very inspiring for me because I didn't know what I was gonna do, Matt, but I knew I wanted to do something international. And it had to do with making an impact on society and something with foreign relations. But, you know, I can still tell you looking back, I didn't know what that meant when I graduated. I had these pockets and channels of things we're told. You could join the foreign service, you could, 
you know, join an international corporation, you could join the federal government, there's many different opportunities or the UN for that matter, but I, I didn't take any of those channels. So I, I took a different journey to get to where I am now. Where did you go? I mean, because I'm interested, a lot of students, I think, a lot of young students, maybe even in the arts specifically, because I think the arts uh, is a, a, an area of education that's it's not so directly vocational, right? Like, it's not like a straight line from, you know, an English degree to the English factory where <laughs> you work on that, right? It's more of you you get skills that can be applied to a multitude of jobs. But I think a lot of us who graduate with arts degrees, I did as well, um, there's kind of a, an anxiety of like, oh, well, what job am I going to do? And I need to plan this out. Were you anxious or, or did you, were you excited to go on whatever path you went on? Oh, I was always anxious. I'm probably still anxious <laughs> because I think if you're anxious, that means you've got drive and that means you're always trying to learn and achieve, you know, the higher self. Uh, we often criticize ourselves for, for anxiety and these types of conditions, but I've lived a life of anxiety and I've tried to leverage it for good for myself. And yes, I was very anxious when I graduated in 94. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, surprisingly, I got into the London School of Economics, which I would not have gotten into had I not had the foundation from the University of Alberta. So I'm really grateful for that. It gave me discipline, um, know-how, and a lot of um, understanding of the world, actually, from the University of Alberta. So I went to LSE. I did my master's in economics and international relations. And a year after that, I actually moved to Dubai, where I joined a German investment bank. And that was an interesting time. There were not many expats there. And my work was really focused around uh, working with high net worth individuals and trade finance and really immersing myself into a new culture and a new career. Well, that's quite a shift from like political science. Um... How did you, just to go back to the London School of Economics, I'm just curious how you found going overseas to do school. Um, was it uh, different? Um, how did it compare to, say, like the U of A? Yeah, it was very, very different, but it was a good trajectory because the U of A did give me a good platform and foundation. Uh, London School of Economics was full of students from all over the world, um, many from different communities and different classes and different uh, levels of, of family income. So it was a very interesting dynamic from that perspective, meeting people from all over the world. It was also, uh, I would say, a nice journey because we have a beautiful corridor between Alberta and, and London, which made it a very safe environment. But it was also a little bit daunting because obviously it's, you know, some of the greatest and uh, some of the smartest people that we've seen in leadership, as well as some of the craziest dictators we've ever seen, have studied at the London School of Economics. So it was quite a mishmash of incredible intelligence, incredible writers, incredible findings from the faculty and students all over the world. Uh, but it was also a little bit scary to go to a new city and to start uh, this, this, this degree. And likewise, right after that, you went to Dubai. And I know you've listed other places you've been to after that. Where, uh, did you move around a lot after your job in Dubai? Have you always been, uh, you know, looking for the new thing? Well, that's, that's such a great question because you wonder, like, when are you ever going to settle? My mom always <laughs> when are you going to settle? And the big question is, what is it that you actually do, right? So I never wanted to be an investment banker, but my journey took me there. And I realized after that, that, you know, that was an important step in getting experience and learning about different cultures and people and systems and processes to be able to do what I'm doing now. 
post Dubai, I ended up in San Francisco uh, in the late, late, late 90s, early 2000s, when we had the big dot com time, of course, and then the bust. And I was hired at Microsoft to join what was called then the big dot com team. Um, I went to Bill Gates and I said, this is really great. I'm honored to be working here, but I really think I'd like to focus on the venture capital strategy because I noticed a lot of VCs in the Silicon Valley were just calling up Bill Gates and saying, you know, can we do this and can we do that because they share a close relationship. And I noted that that wasn't going to be scalable, not only from his point of view, but from the perspective of really ensuring that startups and VCs get an opportunity to understand what Microsoft was doing and was not doing so that either we could partner together or know we were gonna compete, but either way provide a transparent communication around what was or wasn't gonna happen. And so that was a really big turning point in my career to have him as a mentor and Heidi Roizen, who is one of the top venture capitalists uh, in the world, but she's based in San Francisco and still one of my mentors. And it was a really good learning opportunity as well as a chance to dip my my feet into working with hundreds of founders around the world. It, see, that's relationship building right there. So I can see how it fits into your current job right now. But I just want to go back because it's just all of a sudden you mentioned that you talked to Bill Gates. You just uh, Was it in your job that you were constantly in communication with Bill Gates? Did you take a risk and just reach out to him or how did it happen? It was a very flat company back then, mm. Matt. Very, very flat company compared to now. And um, I, like I said, you know, Heidi Roizen, Anne Winblad, John Hummer, these are sort of the three venture capitalists who know him very well and literally took me by the arm into his office to formally introduce me to him. And I met them because I did reach out to them. I took that plunge to say, oh gosh, they don't know who I am and how daunting to reach out to these successful people. But, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. And so I, I met them and I asked them for some guidance for my future career. And that was the point that they introduced me to him. And I was really lucky to have his ear and to have been able to articulate what I wanted to do, which then evolved into a company strategy, not only uh, in the US, but then later across Europe, Middle East and Africa with a base in London. It's fascinating too that you keep hitting on these skills that you develop in that um, in these different worlds that you work in. Um, you know, from investment banking to Silicon Valley and the tech sector. Because I think often with jobs, and this happens a lot with the people that I, I've talked to on this podcast, is you don't always recognize the skills that you pick up that will be transferable to somewhere else. Uh, it doesn't. It may not seem that way, like on a resume necessarily, but it pays off later. Absolutely. And the real clincher for me is the relationship management and keeping up with relationships. So the folks I met uh, at the U of A, including some of my professors, as well as the folks I met in the UAE and then in San Francisco and thereafter London and many other countries, I've been really focused on maintaining relationships. And the, the sort of takeaway I'd like to share from those experiences is that it's really important to maintain relationships, even if you think you don't need them, because you know, burning bridges and saying, oh, I don't need that person, that doesn't matter. That's all well and good, but it's fascinating, you know, 20 years on, I'm still in touch with Heidi Royce and she's still my mentor and she's still advising me and guiding me today. And so I think mastering the art of keeping in touch with contacts, especially when you don't need anything, uh, is really a power. I think it's a superpower and it's really helped me along my journey. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's, 
um, you know, for some people, it's really easy, I think, to build those relationships and uh, make connections and keep those connections going. That's another challenge. Was it for you or was it something that you really had to work on? Um, I think just just I inherently really love people and I love learning. And I realized that those folks that I spoke to, gosh, I often feel like it was a one-way street because they were giving me so much. But now that I'm a mentor for others, I also realize you know, the satisfaction in being able to give back. And I'd like to hope that some of those folks who've mentored me also feel what I feel now when I'm mentoring uh, recent grads, especially, is that, that feeling and responsibility of giving back and paving a journey and path for those who are up and coming so that they too can make an impact in society. Speaking of journey and path, let, let's keep going with your career journey because I'm fascinated about where it goes next because you weren't, you did, you're not still at Microsoft now. So wh where did you go? Yeah, so after I left Microsoft, I'll be honest, I had quite a burnout. I was looking after 17 countries, my body shut down, my physical being shut down and I took four months off, which was the first time in my life to take that time off. I went to India and I stayed in an Ayurvedic hospital where I did yoga and had all kinds of Eastern treatments and, you know, probably ate one eggplant a day or something, very simple food. But it was a really good check-in moment for my life and to figure out exactly how I wanted to spend my time going forward. And when I returned from that, uh, I was terrified, Matt, because I owned a, a beautiful flat in central London that I had to pay a mortgage for. I was out of a job because I left Microsoft, which was the right decision, and I had to figure out what I was going to do. So I did set up a consulting firm at that time, and my goal was really to make money because I had to pay for my mortgage, but also I wanted to leverage the skills I developed uh, in the UAE and as well as at Microsoft. And it was really bothering me that a lot of startups and tech companies who don't have the right contacts really find it hard to navigate the Microsofts of the world. And without the right relationships, they're not able to access funding or scale their businesses globally. So that was the basis of my consulting firm. And through that, I ended up advising many companies. Uh, I did have one caveat to this, which is I told every company that I was going to advise uh, that they had to pay me enough so I could pay for my mortgage. But second, they had to absolutely have some sort of implementation that was gonna benefit a vulnerable community. And they might not have known what that was. It could be, you know, a tech for identity management, which we later then used uh, for people to vote in Africa. So any sort of technology that could benefit others had to be implemented at some point in the future. And that was quite a, a satisfying and really um, wonderful experience to then work with a lot of founders. And through that, I also became a founder myself. I started Shanti Life, which is a social enterprise around financial inclusion and financial literacy. And the goal there was really, again, to uh, be the talking stick for vulnerable people to help them get access to capital and resources that they otherwise wouldn't have. In the case of Shanti Life, our not-for-profit, which is an Alberta not-for-profit, we were really focused in India, rural India, around helping women create um, uh, and build small businesses, as well as access safe sanitation. So I also went through that journey of being a founder and uh, later on was appointed to become the dealmaker for the British government's global entrepreneur program. And with that, I ended up working with over 900 companies. We raised a billion pounds for these really cool businesses who would come from all over the world into the UK. In fact, one of them is right 
from here and from Edmonton, Alberta called Samdesk. They're really important to me and they were in the news today. They've got a new partnership with Instacart and their business is focused around um, alerts and, um, you know, through Twitter, making sure corporates can get to their customers quickly around disaster management uh, communications. So I've always maintained uh, a love and passion for working with companies that are going to be able to do good for society. There's so much I want to ask because you went through a lot there, but I would like to go back just to burnout for a second because I think, you know, we did an episode on burnout about seven months ago, I want to say, um, just because I think with the pandemic and with the way people have been working, you know, some of them have had to teach their kids school while working because of the way the pandemic has gone. And I'm just kind of curious how you recognize, how you came to recognize that you were feeling burnout and how you had what I think is courage to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to take some time for myself. It was pretty terrifying, uh, Matt, because it was actually the doctor who said to me, you need to take a break, right? Because my body was actually slowing down and I actually suffered quite an illness at that time, which really required me to check in. But since that time, of course, we do, we have burnouts, right, in life. And it really gave me a really good opportunity to say, hey, check in with yourself. Uh, you know, what's that saying? Put your own mask on first, because if you're not healthy and you're not able to produce, you're not going to be able to make any money, you're not going to be able to work, you're not going to be able to look after your family or help others. And so um, I do regularly check in, I have become a yoga teacher, I spend a lot of time meditating and practicing yoga, not only as a part of my culture, but as a part of my upbringing of my child, and just ensuring every day there's a check in where you just breathe, you know, uh, look at our beautiful city, take a moment to really reflect and, and that reflection time is really key because in our careers and in our anxiety and whatever we're doing, it just gives us an opportunity to stop and look at what we're doing and are we on the right direction? Are we taking the right journey? Or do we need to pivot, which is okay too. Yeah, and those moments of reflection are, are crucial and trying to take care of yourself. I think sometimes, you know, this is a career advice podcast, so we talk about careers all the time, but sometimes I think it's important to just distance yourself from your career and take that step back for a second. But let's talk about social good, because that is the thing you talked about. Why, why was that an important element to you? Why did you want um, to work with companies and, and ensure that they were performing acts of social good as well? So there's a couple of reasons. Um, one is we came to Alberta in 1972 as refugees from Uganda. And we had nothing. Our parents had to work very, very hard for us to build our lives here, but they did so through the community. You know, they worked hard, but they also instilled in us um, the notion of community and giving back and helping and working with each other. So that was very much ingrained in my life from the beginning uh, without choice, but I'm really grateful for that now. Um, moving forward, I would say uh, just with regards to, to my career and, and, and checking in and, you know, looking at, why are we here and what are we doing? I started surrounding myself around tech companies and venture capitalists and people, investment bankers and all of that who were all about me, me, me. How am I going to get ahead at all costs? And there was really no regard for anyone else. And it really struck me quite hard when I was based in San Francisco and I would hear, you know, someone at Starbucks saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe they don't have a skinny hazelnut syrup for my double espresso. And life was 
coming to an end for these folks. And then I'd be in India doing some of my yoga or my charitable work. And I would see people who had nothing, but they would greet us with, you know, a warm cup of chai, though they didn't even have a house, like they're living in slums, everything they had, they'd give to us. And it just started getting me um, you know, on this, this movement and this thinking way back actually Matt, in 2006, where I created my consulting firm was actually called Innovative Social Ventures, because I started thinking about how can we use tech for good? And that's at a time when we had the, the vocabulary and narrative around corporate social responsibility. Now we're called social entrepreneurs. Who knows what's next? My dream will be that eventually we're just called entrepreneurs because we just have to do good anyway. It's a part of our makeup. Um, but it's always been very key to my, my focus and I've felt a lot of selfish satisfaction out of doing that. Um, doing good feels good and it makes a difference and it also rubs off on other people. So, um, you know, when they say that you do something good, it all comes back to you tenfold. Yeah, I have to say it's really come back in terms of seeing the communities that we've worked with and them owning their own journeys now because they're leveraging either innovation or technology or doing things for themselves now. I feel really proud to be a part of that. Let's talk about uh, the the nonprofit you you started um, because you know you're working with um, all these other companies and helping them do good. Um, was this a cause where you where you just thought no one was addressing it? What what made you want to start this? Yeah, so I had spent about uh, 15 years working with not-for-profits around the world. I went to Uganda to set up telecenters while I was at Microsoft. I worked in a children's orphanage in Bangalore, you know, multiple different real grassroots activities. And one of the things that struck me while working with many not-for-profits is that the dollars and donations don't always get to the end beneficiary, first of all. Second, I noticed not-for-profits are not always as effective as they could be because you know, they don't necessarily apply business skills and business thinking. And then on the other side, you've got the for-profits who don't think about social impact at all. So my husband, Paul Walsh, and I decided in 2009 to set up Shanti Life with a focus of entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. And our entire mission was let's just not hand out because people don't want handouts. They want to own what they do. And so we came up with a uh, very interesting microfinance model after doing a lot of research. And the model is such that we provide financial literacy training uh, and a lot of financial inclusion strategies. But the people that we work with are given an opportunity to open bank accounts. So generally, by and large, they've been non-bankable. So we help them become credit worthy as well as we give them loans in the range of 100 to $200 with a very low interest rate. And the secret sauce, which is why it's worked, I think, is that the folks who've received these microloans have also created the model with us. So they agreed on the interest rate. And what happens is when they repay their loans, it doesn't come into our pockets. It actually gets recycled. So we've got a pay it forward model in the case of creating safe sanitation. We called it a flush it forward model. So one beneficiary builds a toilet and then the, the money from that goes to the next beneficiary and so on and so on. And so what's really key now for me as I've come home after 27 years is we're actually uh, launching um, Shanti Life here in Edmonton. We're going to be focusing on Alberta recovery initially around the Afghan refugees who are coming slowly to our province and to our city. We're going to be working with them. We're also putting together a project around the Indigenous peoples to make sure that uh, women's led businesses are paid attention to and access to capital is made available. 
It's it's really remarkable that you're able to do all this. And I think what I'm kind of thinking about now, just in terms of other people, maybe new graduates or, or people who have been who are mid-career and thinking about a change, people who are really passionate about helping uh, others or maybe entering into this world of... Um, um, you know, social good or what, what did you call it? What was the kind of entrepreneur like? Uh, social entrepreneur. Is that, is that what, is that the term that they're using now? What, what I can't yeah, remember. I mean, it keeps evolving, right? It was see it was corporate social responsibility. Then it was social enterprise, social entrepreneurs, tech for good. Um, what, what, so what are the things, if someone were interested in this kind of field or doing this kind of work, what are some ways that they could start? Well, you know, that's a really good question because we all have these missions and ideas and visions of what we want to do, but our journey doesn't always take us to where we want to get to straight away. And I certainly um, am still on my journey, right? I'm doing this amazing role that I'm loving right now, but I'm still I'm still creating my next path and how that's going to evolve here in Edmonton after returning after such a long time. I guess some of the skills and things to think about, Matt, are um, for young grads and, and people who do care about making an impact is whatever role you have, you could be at ATB, you could be at a, you know the University of Alberta working, you could be at the at government of Alberta, wherever you are, you, there's nobody telling us we can't think out of the box and whatever we're doing, how is that impacting our citizens and our community? So it's a really um, interesting position to be able to take responsibility and say, well, my job is about, I don't know, let's talk about AI for clean tech for a second and say, that's what my job is, I'm a developer. But then taking that and thinking a little bit about how your business, whatever that might be, um, bakery or whatever it is how do i take that business to then affect those around me in a positive way and that small thought process once you start talking about it uh, can really garner support and interest and you know it's going to fall in the lap of someone who really cares and so that type of networking and sharing that vision will generate a viral uh, community that cares about it and i that's how i've really um, operated not with questioning but with action and saying, look, this is something I care about. Yeah, this does not fit into this business at all, but actually it could, and let's turn it around and see what it could look like. So just being open and creative, if one cares about that, they will find a way. Yeah, it seems like there is a bit of a, like it's, you can adapt a lot of things uh, to make it fit into that sort of like social aspect. You can think about the ways that your your business or your work can do good for others, if you like, right? So Absolutely. how did you, so, you know, you, you came back or you've been doing shanty life is, is it from there that you stepped into the government role or, or is there another step I'm missing in between? Oh, there's a couple of steps. Oh, wow. In. Let's go. So, so when I left the British government, actually about a year and a half ago, I became an angel investor. I've invested in five startups, um, across London and San Francisco. I have yet to do an investment in Edmonton and I can't wait to do that hopefully in 2022. As an angel investor and board member, I've been really able to understand what it's like to work with founders firsthand. Um, in my family, we have a startup as well. My husband is the founder of Metacert, which is an anti-fishing company. And what's really exciting about that is <clears throat> protecting citizens who are online, whether you're a remote worker or whether you're you know, at your desktop at work, what you click on can really affect your life and that of your enterprise or your company. So that's a business I'm really, really um, close to, not only as an investor and as a family founder, but 
really looking at the social impact of that. Um, I'm also really privileged, Matt, to be on the board of Innovate Edmonton. And that's a really good group of people. We've brought an exceptional uh, CEO from British Columbia who's moved to Edmonton to focus around uh, innovation. And we've got an incredible board, many who are of which are tech founders themselves and investors as well. So we're really trying to create a grassroots community there. So I do wear quite a few hats and I like that because it allows me to make sure that the relationships that I have can be leveraged in those different pockets, but also the social impact that I'd like to deliver can also be delivered through those different channels. I'm still fascinated that you can maintain all these relations across all these different fields. Like well, what's the secret? <laughs> because I, I, I don't know, I lose track of people like uh, from one day to the next. <laughs> well, you know, it doesn't all link together, but I think I think the one thing I have in common with the networks that I've maintained since I left the UAE in 1996 or 97 include that I think we're all people who have a mission where we're all really aligned around um, I'm going to say, I suppose, development of our communities, and we all share the same. I know it's not, it might sound a little bit sort of idealistic, and that's funny because when I graduated from U of A in 94, I was so idealistic, and I'm really proud of myself that I've maintained that after seeing the big bad world and how difficult life can be. I'm still very idealistic, and that passion that I have, I think, has allowed me to maintain those relationships as well as honesty and integrity. It's interesting to me, you know, talking about being a, a, having ideal idealism and, you know, you were in the tech sector at a, just, I think, a fascinating time. Uh, so the dot-com boom and, of course, now and the rise of social media and we see tech companies, um, especially some of the huge ones that are scrutinized, uh, the questions of ethics. But you went a very different way. You went, you went to this sort of social side. You went to this uh, trying to help others. And even, even now when you're, when you're talking about innovation and, and trying to do economic recovery for the province, it seems like these things – come from a place of wanting to help and it sounds weird to ask this but why is that <laughs> oh it's such a great question i i feel like i received uh when we did come to alberta and through my journey through uh you know the the, the catholic schools and through university and through the communities that we have here especially in edmonton i was given a lot of support when I went off to LSC, I felt confident and I felt really supported by my city of champions. I really did. Um, and whether that was in my head or it was real, it, it evolved in my actions and in my behavior and in my way of presenting myself. And I think that came across. So through that, I've been lucky, Matt, to then attract really good people. And I want to say it's such an honor even now to be part of government of Alberta, because why would an industry person work for the government. It's such a different hat to wear. Um, and it's such a difficult time that we find ourselves in. But our, our minister, Minister Schweitzer, he's really, really passionate and focused on the future of our province and jobs. And, you know, I, I feel that we are in such a wonderful time. We're in a difficult and horrible time as well with COVID and what's happened. But it's also been an opportunity to check with ourselves as a government and as a population of what do we need? What do we need to do to position ourselves as a province to help our people, but also 
let our people become leaders so that we can position Alberta globally. And so that that whole, why do we wanna help? It's because we love our city, we love our province and we feel passionate about the support we were given and we wanna recycle that, right? Yeah, it seems like you are a uh, champion for the city in the city of champions, which uh, is always great to see. And, you know, I think it's true that Alberta is in for a really interesting time. And um, it seems like uh, people embrace that challenge and it should be fascinating to see where it goes. Okay, so we're going to do our lightning round now. Um, these are just the questions I ask every single guest, um, and they are just for fun. Have you ever been fired from a job before? No, and I'm so terrified because, I, well, I have to be honest, I've never been fired, but I wonder if I might have left before I thought things were going bad. Okay, very few people have been fired, to be honest, Um but some people have, have counted that like not getting their contract renewed as getting fired. Uh, when, when you were just a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a lawyer because that's all I knew, Matt. <laughs> uh, what's something, this is a tough one for you because you've had so many different jobs, but maybe in the current role you're, you're in, what's something that uh, you wish people knew about your job or something that's sort of misunderstood about your job? Oh, I love this question. Everyone asks me, why on earth would you work for government when you've had this international exciting career? And I would argue I have loved this last year working with government has given me more learnings than I've had all over the world. Um, people in government are often misunderstood as bureaucrats, as slow movers. But I have met some of the most resilient people in my department who I think could be really amazing entrepreneurs because the way that they are able to be nimble and agile, especially during COVID, and still be able to provide insight and services and um, guidance has been fascinating. And I'm talking about department people, right? Civil servants who you know, have been there for a long time or who are new, but who actually are so committed to our province that they're willing to work within an environment which might be challenging. So I really want our listeners to hear that the government of Alberta, it is actually a very interesting and dynamic place to work. If you're resilient and if you think you can be an entrepreneur, then you could probably take this type of a opportunity within government where you have to be resilient. What advice do you have for someone who feels like they are in a career rut, like they're stuck? My advice would be uh, take a moment to go to LinkedIn and find one or two or three or five people that you think are inspiring and interesting and write to them and ask them if they have 15 minutes for a quick chat. And in doing so, be very crystal clear on your asks from them. It's a very bold and brave to be able to do that. I do it. I still do it at this point in my career and others do it with me. And uh, today I had two calls with two random people for 20 minutes each and it really uplifted my day. I think I'd like to hope I've helped them as well, but it made me think differently as well. So I just encourage people to just go out there and, and be bold and don't be scared. What are you going to get? Maybe a no, not a big deal. What, what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in this job? Oh, that's a great question. I'd probably be doing the same sort of thing, but in another role. I, I'm really um, quite excited and passionate about um, technology and innovation. And I, I would 
you know, I'm really behind MetaCert, which is our anti-phishing company. So I probably put all in that to make that a little bit more scalable, although the team's working really hard. But the concept around cybersecurity and, and protecting citizens and especially old people from, from scams that are taking place are just absolutely disgusting. And, and in this day and age, the fact that people are being scammed is very upsetting and it's not only individuals, but it's healthcare. Uh, I know we had something happen in Labrador recently. We've seen it all over the world where health departments have been scammed and people haven't been able to get testing. My mother-in-law in Ireland recently wasn't able to go through some of her medical uh, procedures because all of the healthcare uh, data was uh, jeopardized. And so I, I think I just dig in there. I mean, I absolutely worry about my parents and sort of those online phishing scams. You know, I try to keep them as literate as possible. It's it's scary. Um, but anyway, moving on, lightning round. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite thing about your job? Oh, it's meeting new people. Of course, I love people. And it's actually, I will say, I want to rebind. My favorite thing about my current job is being in Edmonton and reconnecting with the uh, the spirit of Edmonton and the people who are so hardworking and so resilient. And at the end of the day, you know, you, I feel like we've just got such a great community here. So that's a favorite part of my job. If you could go back and talk to yourself right after you graduated, that young poli sci you, what, would, what advice would you have for yourself? Oh, I would say take a chill pill and relax. Don't stress. Everything's going to be okay. It's a long journey. The job that I want may not happen tomorrow, but it's going to happen eventually. And even after you get the job that you want, you're going to grow and change and you're going to want a different job. And what will evolve eventually, I would go back and tell myself, is that whatever you do, if you love it and you create the right path, it's not going to be a job. It's going to be a way of life and it's going to be something you just love. So have faith in yourself, have faith in your community and have faith in the fact that whatever you're going to do, it's going to be okay. And the last one, in respect to your career path, is there is there anything you wish you had done but didn't do? Oh, that's a really difficult question. You know, I just dived in in every instance and uh, some of those decisions were a little bit dangerous or scary or far away from home. And yeah, I, I don't have any regrets at all, Matt. I think everything we do is a learning opportunity, whether it's negative. I've seen some hard times, but uh, all of those made me who I am and, and gave me the opportunity to move forward. Well, I've had a blast talking with you. I feel like we could chat again in 10 years and you'd have, you know, five or six or seven or eight other other uh, jobs that you could talk about or adventures or opportunities. Uh, but I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for listening to this episode of What the Job, and a special thanks to our guest, Sheetal Meta Walsh, for taking time to talk to us about her career. And as always, a reminder that the best place for alumni to connect with other alumni about jobs, mentorship, or volunteer opportunities is the online platform Switchboard. It's free, and you can try it out today at uab.ca slash sboard. It's a great tool no matter where you are in your career journey. That's all for this episode. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray. See you next time.